Today is Wednesday, November 22nd, 2023, and this is the Weekly Refresh. Tomorrow's Thanksgiving, so let's look at one of the earliest expressions of thanks to the Lord in Scripture. In 1 Chronicles 16, we find a song from David of thanks to the Lord. Prior to this event, the word thanks or thanksgiving had only been used in the law where God declared how the Israelites were to perform their sacrifices. We find this in Leviticus 7, verses 12, 13, and 15, and chapter 22, verse 29. Thankfulness to God was expressed prior to this, but not in such explicit terms that clarified that God's people ought to express thankfulness to him in song, why they should be thankful to him, and how they should express that thankfulness. Prior to this joyful song of praise to God, the Ark of the Covenant had been housed in Kiriath-Jerim. David sought to bring the Ark to his location, the city of David, which was in Jerusalem. They brought the Ark on a cart pulled by ox, and when the ox stumbled, the Ark shook, and in an attempt to save the ark from falling, Uzzah reached out his hand to stabilize the ark, which angered God so intensely that he instantly killed Uzzah for touching the ark. That seems unfair, but it amplifies God's intentionality concerning his glory and obedience to him. Only the priest could touch the ark, and God killing Uzzah was his way of reminding Israel that God does not take his glory lightly, but that his grandeur, supremacy, greatness, and glory are to be praised and worshiped and exalted according to his words and his ways. And Uzzah was a sacrifice that God was willing to make to clarify that truth, which, as you'll see, serves the praise of God's people. Regardless of Uzzah's intentions, to touch the ark without concern for the magnitude of God's glory was sin worthy of death, because to interact with God without absolute reverence is sin, and to do so in any way that does not accord with his word is sin. God killing Uzzah upset David, yet this served as a reminder to David as well that God is to be worshipped and exalted for who he is, regardless of whether we agree with what he does, because what he does is who he is. It was a reminder to Israel that God is worthy of all praise because the death of Uzzah served as an exaltation of God's majesty, royalty, and splendor, which is worthy of all praise and song and joy and glory. This leads David to bring the ark to the tent he set up in his city, where upon its arrival, Israel would sing this song of thanksgiving, having their minds and hearts accurately righted upon the true nature of God's magnificent glory. In 1 Chronicles fifteen sixteen, as they are preparing for the arrival of the ark and preparing to worship God when it arrives, David appointed chiefs of the Levites to play musical instruments loudly during this celebration. This reveals that this is not some generic worship service, but rather a genuine expression of true joy, bursting forth with praise and satisfaction in God. This was an opportunity for David to lead his people into the nature of his own heart, which desperately sought after God. First Chronicles 16.4 Then he, that's David, appointed some of the Levites as ministers before the ark of the Lord to invoke to thank and to praise the Lord, the God of Israel. This verse is a less detailed expression of what David commanded the Levites to do in 1516, which was to lift this praise with instruments and songs as loudly as they could so to elevate the value of the one they were worshiping. Verse 7, Then on that day, David first appointed that thanksgiving be sung to the Lord by Asaph and his brothers. Here we begin the song 
that the people sung, led by Asaph, who was also an author of Psalm 50 and Psalms 73 through 83. He was similar to our modern-day worship leader, but without the tattoos. Tattoos were against God's law in the Old Covenant, but now they're super cool and allowed as long as they glorify God. Then the song begins. The song is 29 verses long in our text, so I won't break down each verse, but instead we can see a pattern of exuberant joy expressed in God's people for all that God had done. And that is the key to this praise. It is an expression of God's work, and God's work reveals God's nature. So we not only worship God for what he has done for us, such as saving us in Christ, but for who he is, regardless of our perception of what he does. However, the key here is that what God does is a manifestation of who he is. So by celebrating what God has done for Israel, or for us to celebrate what God has done for us in justifying us by faith through grace in Jesus's death and resurrection, we are celebrating not only his work, but his person. His work and his nature are inseparable. First Chronicles 16.8 begins the song. Verse 8, O give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, sing to him, sing, sing praises to him, tell of all his wondrous works, glory in his holy name, let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice, seek the Lord and his strength, seek his presence continually, remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered, O offspring of Israel, his servant, sons of Jacob, his chosen ones. Note the five separate references to God's work, his deeds, his wondrous works twice, his miracles, and his judgments. All of these are cause for the actions that we are to perform in this worship, which is to glory in his holy name. Let our hearts rejoice. Seek the Lord, his strength, and his presence continually. Verse 14. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. Remember his covenant forever, the word that he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant that he made with Abraham, his sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed as a statute to Jacob, as an everlasting covenant to Israel, saying, to you I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. Here the song gets more specific about the works of God, specifically his lordship over all the earth. His judgments are in all the earth meaning all that he determines will be. And the best expression of God's sovereign will is him choosing his people and joining them in a relationship, or more accurately, creating a relationship with them by adhering himself to them in covenant. This covenant is a reference to the old covenant. But as new covenant believers, we can praise God just the same, or even more so for the fact that the fulfillment of that old covenant is completed in Christ, making us God's chosen people, his priesthood in all the earth, created to magnify his glory. And one of the ways we magnify his glory is in our joyful songs of praise to God for all that he has done for us and for his own name's sake. Verse 19. When you were few in numbers and of little account and sojourners in it, wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people, he allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked kings on their account, saying, Touch not my anointed ones, do my people no harm. Here we see God's providential protection of his chosen people. This harkens back 
to earlier in the song where we were told to seek his presence continually in verse 11. God is never absent from us in presence. The only lack of presence we experience with God is in our ignorance toward him. To not consider him, think of him, look to him, desire him, or seek him. Yet whether we are aware of his presence or not, or whether we seek his presence or not, as his chosen and beloved people, we are guaranteed through his promise the continuation of his eternal presence today and forever. We simply have to seek him, and he is not hard to find. Verse 23, sing to the Lord, all the earth, tell of his salvation from day to day, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples, for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and he is to be held in awe above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens, splendor and majesty are before him, strength and joy are in his place. Now we see the work of God expressed in something that puts all the false gods and idols to shame. Our God alone is the creator of all things. And all other things, such as false gods, are simply a manifestation of the human imagination and, a, and the totally depraved nature of mankind. But as God's children, we ought to express our gratitude to God not only for making us and making all that exists for us, but recognize his greatness in that feat to create all things. Only a God of unfathomable power, imagination, strength, and perfection could orchestrate such a detailed and perfectly operable existence and reality. Therefore, as the song says, he is to be held in awe above all the gods. Verse 27 is why Nehemiah 8.10 says, The joy of the Lord is your strength. In his presence is where we belong. And there in his presence, we find him who is splendor, majesty, strength, and joy. So the joy of the Lord being your strength means seek God's presence. And in his presence, we find him. And in him, we find his strength, which is ours to be used to endure this life to the exaltation of his glory. Verse 28. Ascribe to the Lord, O clans of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice and let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. We have been given direction throughout the song to thank God, to praise God, to seek him, etc. But here we are commanded to do things that we cannot actually do. We can't ascribe anything to God, yet we are told to ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Those are his to ascribe to himself. So the meaning here is that we recognize what he is and who he is, and the result is that we agree with God's work and nature as he conveys it to us, producing in us a gratefulness expressed in loud and joyful song where we verbally ascribe or declare his glory do his name. Not only do we express our gratefulness of his nature in song, 
but in our attitude. Verse 30 says, tremble before him all the earth. That is like the awe we are supposed to experience when we are present with God. Keep in mind that Israel is singing this song with the ark now placed back in their presence, which meant that God himself was present, an experience that Israel had not felt in many years. So not only should joyful expressions of praise exude out of the people, but also a terrified posture of humility in the presence of the one who can give life and take life in an instant, just as he exampled with Uzzah. The people should not only be thankful to God for his good works toward them, but they should also be grateful that he's a just God who acts according to his sovereign will and that because he is a because he is faithful to himself he must be faithful we must be faithful to him lest we fall into the hands of the living God which Hebrews 10:31 says is a terrifying thing though the song is not over the body of the song ends in verse 34 with a benediction of sorts to finalize the song in verses 35 through 36 So to end the body of this song, we find these words. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. If these words sound generically repeated to you, that is because they are often repeated in scripture, yet they are far from generic. These are the words that David is taking from Exodus 34, and they are the words from the Lord himself as he described himself to Moses on Mount Sinai. To say these words is to is to declare back to God what he declares of himself, that his love is steadfast and it endures forever. These words are used to describe, these words as used to describe God should never be uttered generically or half-heartedly as God himself makes this declaration of himself for us to then declare forever. As you read through the Old Testament, you'll see that many of the authors repeat some fraction of these words that God declares about himself in Exodus 34. And that is because they took his words seriously. If we do also, then the result is not just a verbal expression of truth, but it should be a genuinely heartfelt proclamation of the true nature of our God, whose love for us has no end, even when we are at our worst or we are in sin. This love is stronger and more secure than your love for your children or your spouse. This is the truest and most perfect love, the love that God has for his people. Verses 35 and 36. Say also, save us, O God of our salvation, and gather and deliver us from among the nations, that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. He has done this for us already. Israel is asking for God's temporal help in this life. But we recognize that he has saved us not from the hardships of this life, but from eternal separation from him. We can sing these words joyfully aware that his salvation has already delivered us, not from among the nations, but from among ourselves, from our sin, and from the product of our sin, which is death. Therefore, we can sing with Israel, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. He is timeless, 
endless, eternal, from beginning to end, yet without beginning or end. He is forever the same, our perfect God who transcends our wildest imagination and thoughts about his superiority and makes himself known to us so that we could sing these songs of joyful praise to him for our joy and for his glory. And finally, the text ends, then all the people said, amen, and praised the Lord. What else can we do? We can't do anything this song says God does. So we are left to humbly submit ourselves to his will, to his power, to his strength, to his joy, and to the simplicity of singing him songs. And when we do that, and those songs are true, we declare amen, meaning truth, because what we sing about God better be true. When it is, Praise and joy fills our hearts, and the outflow of that praise is a sweet aroma to the nostrils of God and a pleasant sound to his ears, magnifying his glory and exalting his nature. There is no excuse to enjoy this thanksgiving apart from a thankful heart and praise to God. He alone is our reason to give thanks, and he alone is the one we give thanks to. He has earned because what he does is who he is and who we are is what he made us and he has made us for joy. So sing praises to him.